This episode of the Tide Capital Millionaire Podcast is brought to you by Black America Inc., a trillion dollar nation by A.R. Morton. Black America Inc. is a piece of literature that details and illustrates the socioeconomic solutions that black Americans can implement in their communities today. Whether it be being captains of our own industries, creating our own political parties, or just learning how to strengthen our overall health and wealth, Black America Inc. is what black Americans and Americans in general need to get to the next level in 2017 and beyond. For too many years, we have been talking about the problems and not the solutions. For too many years, we have been pointing fingers at each other without talking about the solutions. This is why Black America Inc. is important. If you're ready to build yourself up and rebuild your community, head on over to Amazon.com and order your copy of Black America Inc., a trillion dollar nation. My name is Andre C. Hatchett, a.k.a. Mr. Own or Be Own, and I'm encouraging everybody listening to this podcast to pick up my new book, Own or Be Own, The Black Man's Guide to Wealth Creation in America on Amazon.com. If you're a black man, if you need guidance, inspiration, a path, a path to follow to build wealth in this country, pick it up. Own or Be Own, The Black Man's Guide to Wealth Creation in America. Welcome to the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast with your host, Charles Oglesby III, a.k.a. Todd Millionaire. So this is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. This is episode number 57. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire. I'm the founder and the director of the Todd Capital Investment Club that now has over 197 members. Also the founder of Todd Acquisitions, which is our partnership real estate firm. It is funded in our cash flow to our second deal. So we uh, now we have two deals under management and we're pursuing deal three as we speak. Thank you all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American investors and business owners so that people can see the stories of successful examples, learn how they did it, and also learn what we believe is that business ownership and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. Today, we have a very special guest. You might all know him. Um, he's very active on the internet, very active on social media. He has a huge brand. I mentioned him, mentioned him on Twitter and everybody's like, yeah, I want to ask him these questions. So he, he comes well regarded. Um, his name is Mr. Marlon Wilson, AKA Mr. Real Estate Marlon. Uh, Marlon was born with an entrepreneurial spirit, which is one thing that I truly love. At a very young age, he knew that he was destined to be an entrepreneur. Growing up, he invested in several ventures from selling snacks in elementary school to selling mopeds as an independent contractor and many other ventures in between. In recent years, he worked as a successful life insurance agent and then decided to enter into the real estate industry. As a real estate investor in Houston, Marlon has done tons of property transactions with a strong focus in the areas of wholesale real estate and rehabbing. Marlon's goal is to help as many ambitious and hardworking people reach all the real estate goals. So with that, man, welcome to the show. Hey, Todd, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the, the warm introduction. And uh, like I said, I'm excited to be on the show and uh, give back value where I can. Very cool. So um, when, well, I was going to talk to you about real estate, but I I like the entrepreneurship aspect, man. I think that real estate is huge. I love real estate. I love business as much. Um, let's talk about your early ventures. What did those look like? What inspired those ventures? Okay, great question, man. So so pretty much growing up, I never, never wanted to have a job or just work for anybody. Um, just kind of always wanted to do my own thing and wake up when I wanted to wake up, control what I want to control and, you know, be fair to everybody. And just kind of, you know, determine my, my cap, you know. And so I knew at a young age, I had started off 
with uh, like cutting grass. And I was from Detroit, Michigan, so we got snow in the winter. So I get the shovel and I, I you know, start shoveling neighbor's snow and things like that. So I think a, a good value was that I learned that I could create my own income. Um, so I kind of grew with that that mindset and then it just, you know, went to different things like, oh, I can do that. I'm the type of person that, you know, you put me into something and I, I learn it. I'm like, I can do this on my own. Um, so, you know, you really couldn't keep me at a job for long because I was thinking the whole time, oh, this is simple. This is how it's done. And, you know, I try to, you know, just do it on my own. And that's pretty much, you know, not to push forward too much, but that's the same way I got into real estate or insurance and, you know, everything I've been doing. That's cool. So, I definitely agree. I think that um, I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, the budget Nista, she was talking about how she was working a job as a teacher. She was making good money. And they ended up letting her go, not because of anything she did, but because of something that they did. And she said that she never wanted to be at the whim of somebody else, where she could lose her income, lose her livelihood off of something that had nothing to do with her at all. That's one of the things Absolutely. that really drives me to entrepreneurship is, I mean, that, that control, that ownership, you could pass it down to your kids. Um, you can't pass your, your job down to your kids. <laughs> exactly. And one thing I know is like uh, a lot of people will say it's job security. But the thing is, nobody is going to try to provide for a job more than you should for yourself, mm. you know. So you got you got people working and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I got the degree and I'm doing this. And, you know, I got the, you know, it's job security and what I'm doing. It's not, you know what I mean? Because the person who's running that, you never know what happens. Like one thing with me and my employees, I always try to make sure they, they keep a job. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, working harder for their job security. But the thing is, if something goes left with my company, I can't, you know, guarantee they have a job. I can't. I'm doing my best, but I cannot guarantee that. And uh, for myself, I have to get up every day and work hard because I'm the one that's going to guarantee the next, the next paycheck. It's not somebody else. You know, it's me that's going to determine that. Yeah. So. And I think that um, when you step into something like that, you're willing to make maybe more money than you need. I think that sometimes when you're just when you're working a job, you'll work as hard as you have to. When you're out there and you're making money as an entrepreneur, there's really no cap because you never know when it's going to stop. So you have to make as much money on each transaction as possible. It's not like, oh, I just kind of hold back a little bit because I mean, you need those reserves. Kind of interesting though. Absolutely. So um, when did you get started in real estate? Okay, so pretty much, um, I want to take it back a little bit. I I, uh, I was an insurance agent and uh, mm -hmm. most people know an insurance agent is pretty much independent. You're not really working for somebody at the same time somebody's paying you. Um, so during that whole five years of doing insurance, I learned, you know, marketing, direct mail marketing. Um, I then took that into, I moved to Houston, Texas from Detroit. And I was just like, man, I'm capped out. I've been making the same money for the last, you know, three, four years. And nothing has changed no matter, you know, how much work I put into it. So I started researching about uh, real estate, you know, YouTube and just Google searching and things like that. And I was like, huh, let me try to get into this wholesaling. Uh, I learned about wholesaling. A lot of people don't know about wholesale real estate, but it's a, a entry level way to get into real estate when you don't have the cash or the capital or the, you know, the credit to get into it. So, I, um, you know, I looked into wholesale real estate. I said, hey, I can do this. I know how to market. Let me get on and find a deal. Um, I found my first deal where uh, I found a house in the hood, which is, I know you guys are big on that, found a house in the hood uh, for 32500 and I found a buyer for at thirty-five thousand. So I made twenty-five hundred dollars. You know, just pretty much connecting a buyer and a seller. And uh, from that point, I was hooked. I was like, man, I can, I can keep doing this, you know. And so I uh, did that for some time, and I got into rehabbing. 
And uh, like now, like I say, now I, I pretty much own in rentals and rehabbing mostly. That's my business. That's cool. And so how did you find that first deal? What did the steps look like? Okay, so wholesaling is different. There's many different uh, marketing ways. Uh, typically, we know bandit signs, uh, direct mail, you got internet, radio, different things like that. But at the time when I got into this about four and a half years ago, uh, Craigslist was pretty popular. Mm. So I had uh, found it as a free way just on Craigslist. Now, now uh, you can still find deals on Craigslist, but they're mainly from wholesalers. You're not going to be able to get direct. And I, I'm not, I don't want to say it like that because I'm pretty sure some, some times and instances where you will find the direct seller looking to sell the property on Craigslist. Um, but that's how I find it. I find it on Craigslist. And I actually found the buyer on Craigslist as well. I was creating the ads as if I already had a house for sale. Wow. And I had a list of uh, buyers who were ready, who were looking up Craigslist, but they missed that particular direct seller. So once I uh, found the property, I then uh, contacted those buyers from Craigslist and ended up selling to one of them. So you were basically building your buyers list by positioning yourself as already having deals. Correct. So they call them ghost ads. And I found that out through Google. So what a ghost ad is, is you'll, you'll take a, a property, a picture of a property that looks like uh, a property neighborhood you're working in. Mm -hmm. And you'll just have a low price for it that'll just attract everybody over. And so once you post it, you'll post it and say, hey, I got this property, blah, blah, blah. And whenever somebody contacted you, like, oh, you know, uh, that property's actually gone now, but I can take your information down. So the next time I do get a property, I can contact you. Yeah. So you just, you know, I was doing that. And, you know, I had a few lined up uh, investors and, you know, they, it actually worked. I like that. I like that because, I mean, a lot of a lot of people that listen to this show are the people who will say, oh, well, I don't have any money or, oh, well, I don't have the resources. Or, oh, I don't have whatever. And I think that it's always about finding that strategy. It's always about finding that workaround, that hack. You might have to do it temporarily, but it'll get you started. And then you get the ball rolling. And what you're doing, you're using Craigslist, which is free advertising. Some people use direct mail. We've had people on the show that just went and got cardboard boxes and wrote, I buy homes. So it's like, there's really no excuse. It's just a matter of like, just doing the work. It's gonna be imperfect in the beginning. It's gonna be ugly, but in a year, two years, you're just building on that experience. You have a story to tell. So it's like, take the action. And Absolutely. That's Absolutely. And, 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 and going back on that, man, like I say, I, when people tell me they don't have money. Like I literally moved down to Texas. I didn't have any money. You know, I actually was, with that first deal I made $2,500, I was actually paying back bills that I skipped out on hoping for that $2,500, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, people don't, I, I, people don't see that side of it, you know, yeah. but and like I say, after that, two weeks later, I had another house. I got 35, started for 40,000, made five grand. And I started picking up the traction. Yep, um, yep. But when people say, I don't have money or something like that, it's not that you don't have, first off, you don't have a mindset because you're doubting yourself. And then secondly, you <laughs> may not have a hustle, but you don't need the, you don't need them. If you really want something, it'll happen. Like you know, that. and I, I, I just, the people I choose to work with at this point of being in real estate is the people that I see that that have something. You know, the people that's like, hey, you know, they're going to make it happen. Because yeah. at the end of the day, uh, if you come across a person that's going to make it happen, whether you're the person that's helping them or somebody else, they're going to be at the top yeah. eventually right next to you. You know, because that's just that's just how they are. You know, and you got the, some people who just like, whatever reason, they don't want to work for it. I don't, I don't pay them too much money. Yeah. You know. I like that you said it. it's not the money, it's the mindset. Anywhere worth going, there's going to be obstacles. So it's like if you're of the mindset that you see an obstacle and stop, you're never going to make any progress. But if you're of the mindset of like, you see an obstacle and you find a workaround, then there's no limits to what you can accomplish. So 
How long did you wholesale before you started rehabbing or did you kind of do a little bit of both at the same time? Okay, so pretty much what I did was I hope, like I said, I started with this with no money. So I was going through a phase where, like I say, I had $15,000 in my account. I ain't never had $15,000 in an account, you know? You know, like I said, I was coming from like, you know, making 2000 this deal, 5000 this deal, 6000 300 whatever I was making per deal. So I saved up $50,000 and I came across a property that was, you know, basic. All I need to do is paint it, clean it up, um, and I could sell it. So I was like, all right, I got 50000 Let me go the hard money route. Mm-hmm. And I can get into what hard money is later if need be. But I was like, let me go with the hard money route, uh, bring twenty grand to the table out of the 50 that I have that I'm worth at the time and buy this property, fix it up, and throw it on the market. So when I first got into business, everybody was saying, oh, rehabbing is hard, just wholesale, rehabbing is hard, you know, wholesale, and wholesale is easier, but rehabbing pays way more than just, you know, taking a fee mm-hmm. for the deal. So uh, pretty much I got, I got this house, got it under hard money. I skipped the numbers, it was like 96,000 I got it for, but I remember selling it for 127 on the market after just like uh, cleaning it up and cutting the yard. Wow. You know, and I remember my check being like, yeah, like the check was like 24 grand of, and I got paid in like four weeks as a cash buyer, which isn't too common in a retail transaction, but it was a cash buyer that bought the property. And uh, I was like, yeah, I can get used to making these checks versus, <laughs> you know, the smaller checks. Yeah. And so after that, after, yeah, after that, I was like, man, I need to start trying to rehab everything I get. And that's where I got mm-hmm. to this point now where pretty much. All the properties I get, I'm either keeping them uh, or rehabbing them. So that's nice. How much did it cost to rehab that property? I don't think we talked about that. Man, so that first property, like I said, I literally just cut the grass. I think I cut wow. the grass and cleaned. I was all in like 400 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was all in like 400 bucks. So this was a situation where pretty much I negotiated a good deal for the property. Mm-hmm. Um, Versus it just being like one of those fixer-uppers and serious fixer-uppers. I just negotiated a good deal on it. You know, the the uh, seller was from out of state and they were just like, had to get out of it and get some cash. They hadn't seen it in years. And, you know, I was like, boom, you know, I offer this. And, you know, it just worked out that way. I think what's what I'm also hearing is you, you wholesaled till you could get the money to rehab. But... I think what you also were able to do is get the skills of negotiating good deals. So accumulating the money is one thing, but accumulating the ability to sophisticatedly take down a deal is huge. That's worth money in itself. That is, that is huge. That is huge, Todd. Because that's, that's a great, great, great point. Because when I talk to a lot of people, they ask like about the wholesale process, the whole, you know, from being a, a, a rehabber, cash buyer and a wholesaler, the difference between when you start as a wholesaler, you find out, and you teach yourself how to get the gold, yeah. you know? So I can always find my own deals. I don't have to depend on anyone to find me a discounted property because I mastered wholesaling, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the difference between the two. You get a lot, now nothing is wrong with rehabbing, but once you learn how to find your own deals, you find, you know where the gold is, you know how to make money out of it, yep. you know? I'm a rehabber and I have to look for somebody like me or another wholesaler or somebody else who knows how to find deals to make their money. You know, I'll never have a drug because I find my own deals. Yep, and yep. so, uh, like like I say, that, that whole process of wholesaling until I got into rehabbing uh, got me in front of a lot of people. It got me money saved. And when I say got me in front of a lot of people was I've probably seen 100 people, but I only got 10 deals out of it. Mm-hmm. But even the times I did not get deals, I got lessons. You know, mm-hmm. what to say on the next time, what not to say. You know, mm-hmm. the reason why I didn't get this deal was this, do this differently. 
yeah. you know, and uh, you can't you can't pay for that. That is huge. Yeah. That's something we've talked about in this show yeah. before is how like when you when you get your no's, it teaches you how to get the yes. And then when you get your yes, it teaches you how to get more yeses. Yeah. So um, where did you go from after that first deal? Where did you go from there? So after that first deal, I kind of, you know, I kept, you know, I did some wholesales because all the deals, all the deals I get aren't just the best uh, flipping deals. But that's when I knew I would like, you know, flip. I had more money saved up at that time um, and just started, you know, doing rehabbing, you know, just started rehabbing. And from that point, I just started raising more money and raising more money as, you know, rehabbing. Just kept it going. So that's where I'm at now. I just constantly rehab and, uh, you know, new construction. And, I, you know, I keep the rentals when they're in the areas I like, you know, in town. But that's pretty much what I do. And I still wholesale, but it's rare. It's rare. Um, but I, I do it here and there. So do you, do you have your own construction company or do you hire that out? I don't, but I, I, will, I would like to. Um, the crazy thing is I had thought about starting one and then, you know, Hurricane Harvey came to Houston. And I mean, the, the, the worst thing you could try to do in the last few months was find a new contracting crew. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they were busy taking the bigger money with the insurance claims and the, you know, the homeowners versus the investors who need to, you know, fix the property. So. Mm-hmm. I make a, I do I keep about 10, 10 rehabs going on at one time. So wow. the bigger money is uh, having my contractors work on my properties, which will yield me you know forty fifty thousand dollars per flip, versus having them on somebody else's property where I'm you know pretty much contracting it and making you know ten fifteen thousand on top. But you know, so I, uh, I I typically keep my crews on my own properties. Yeah. So how do you manage something like that? How do you manage an operation at that scale? Okay, so how my uh, operation is set up is I have a project manager, which is my best friend. I pay him a salary. So he, you know, he has the credit cards, the purchase, he manages, he knows all the crews, he checks the property, gives me updates, takes pictures. Anything that I I, uh, I used to do or could do, I, I pretty much have him kind of do to kind of keep me on the side of where the money's going or marketing and things like that. Uh, I have a few assistants to handle the calls with the realtors, with the sellers, you know, I have systems set in place. To where you know they go directly to them they send me the email of the lead i look at the lead if it's something like a hot deal um then i'm like hey i'll take it from here if not i'm like hey find out what the comps are and uh shoot them this type of offer see where the you know things like that so it's pretty much simple man uh you know i pretty much got a project manager for the properties he's working daily and you know like i say my assistants handle all the paperwork and costs so when you um what was it like going from like maybe doing one deal at a time to then stepping into two deals? Was were you nervous or were you just kind of prepared for it? No, one or two was easy. One of one of five was easy. Uh, it it never got tough. It got to the point to where I was losing my freedom, and I'm doing this for free. You know, a lot of people think it's, it's all about money, but it became you know a headache. You know, it was like, hey, I need to take a nap. I want to get away. I need to travel, and it just you know I wasn't having fun. And that's when I said, hey, I need to just kind of hire people to scale up mm-hmm. to kind of take this, this weight off me. You know, what I mean, my phone was ringing all the time. You know, it's no fun. It just became no fun. Not even I could make fifty thousand dollars and still be stressed out. And that's <laughs> when I like, like, man, how, you know, I used to dream of making a fifty thousand dollar check. Why am I stressed out right now? You know, and that's when I said, hey, I need to kind of let this off. And I'd rather take the forty thousand and be happy and, you know, pay other people in that process. And, you know, what I learned doing that was I also was able to handle and manage more properties, you yeah. know, to get to the scale I am now. So not only did uh, that, that 50 went to 40, but that 40 multiplied by three more properties for 120, you know, so it's the way you looked at it, you know. 
That was definitely, that was my next question. That's where I thought that you were going to go. It's like a lot of times we hold on to doing everything ourselves, and we don't want to hire employees because we don't want to lose that money. But by holding on to that money, we're foregoing the big money. Because then you can- Exactly. It's the truth. More. It's the truth. And I always kind of remind myself by looking at these big companies, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, Netflix, Amazon, these companies, they can't be on the level they are. If the, the owner was just like, yeah, I got to do everything, mm-hmm. you know, you have to let that off. You got to let a professional be a professional, you know, hire those employees to get it done and understand it's going to be a team process. Like you got to learn that, you know, and that was something that I had a challenge with, like just giving away my baby because I created this business, this is my yeah. baby, you know, and now it's like, hey, I got to kind of share this and do this and that. And but it's a part of the process. Any, mm-hmm. you know, great company, they, they do it. It's, it's no it's, it's just the way it has to go. You have, you have to just understand that's what you're gonna have to do yeah so you're in houston is that where you um plan to stay for a while uh i love houston man i love the opportunity i love the people um the weather's good um business is good so yeah uh really houston changed my life so i'll be here as far as an american Mm. uh city so yeah i like traveling as well but yeah america i'll probably be here what was it like investing um and kind of just being in that whole real estate market during that hurricane man so harvey that's a great question um harvey harvey changed a lot i actually made a lot of money during harvey um because you know the people who had insurance were pretty much selling their properties for just a little bit over what the policy paid the policy pretty much paid off the entire loan um so i like i bought a few homes that worth like 250 for like fifty thousand dollars wow you know and and yeah so it was you know i bought maybe like three homes like that um that was the main thing. Uh, rehabbing was difficult because my crew was just, they were, you know, taking the uh, the homeowner's jobs instead, you know, because I'm paying them a certain amount, but they're getting way more by taking the check from the insurance company. So, you know, uh, for a few months, contractors were just hard to come by. Uh, but that's that's pretty much it, though. But the market uh, is actually strong. And I just get a property on the market last week, and it sold in like two days like 10,000 over asking. Mm. So that shows you, you know, where, you know, where the market is from. This is Ken Morris, the CEO and founder of Multibex, the private equity investment firm, and the creator of the brand Lord of My Land, the alpha gentleman entrepreneur. And I am a proud supporter of Tide Capital. You can find me on Instagram at Lord of My Land and at the Lord Ken. This is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire host of the Millionaire Podcast, and I'm the founder and the director of the Todd Capital Investment Club that now has over 200 members, Todd Acquisitions, which is our crowdfunded real estate firm, and Todd Ventures, our crowdfunded venture capital firm. I am formally inviting you to join one of our many investment clubs. If you are someone who is new to investing, a seasoned investor, or someone who doesn't even know what investing is, we know that you will learn the key to investing and how to build generational wealth through the use of crowdfunding by working with our team. Email info at capitaltod.com to join today. So were you just like buying properties and holding them until crews came available? Yeah, but I honestly do that all the time because, you know, I sell to a lot of FHA buyers. You're not going to wait 90 days anyway. So I would not let a good deal go by. I was just buying and closing and then when I can get to it, I get to it. That's definitely a common trend that I hear from people is you own the property and then you can kind of get to it when you get to it. We had a guest on the show. She said that she bought a house and didn't do anything to it at all. She bought it for like 50 grand, didn't do anything to it. And then seven years later, uh, the, the house next door sold for like 250. And so she didn't do any rehab, nothing. She just owned it. 
and then eventually it just appreciated in value and maybe she'll do something to it but it's kind of interesting nice nice yeah that's common that's common here how to get get something cheap and just kind of throw it back on the market you know because we're full of investors and new investors so we'll just buy it so that's a common uh so with it there being a lot of other investors how are you competing or how are you remaining competitive in that market it's getting tough i can definitely say that it's not as easy as to get a deal but i just stick to what i do and you know constantly work i don't i don't really think that somebody else is taking from my plate you know so i don't i don't even let my mind think that but i can't say it's tougher than when i first got in i mean i can get so many deals you know on my own but now it's a little bit Suffer, but I don't. I don't look at that competition as anything that's going to slow my business down. It's just kind of keep it going and keep it marketing. You know, that's all we can do. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it kind of it justifies that you're in the right spot. So it's like everybody Absolutely. else wants to be in your Absolutely. spot. And and, and you got to think the home sale hire. You know, if you do get something, only I got a house uh, that I'm going to see tomorrow. The area sells for like three fifty, and the seller's asking for a hundred. You know, so I don't. I, that's a stone cold deal, regardless. Oh of how it ended up looking when I look at it. Yeah. Um, so. How did you find that deal? That was from, I want to say my postcard campaign. Mm-hmm. But like I say, my marketing goes straight to my assistant. I was in Los Angeles at the time and she sent me, I've seen the zip code and asked can price 100000 I'm like, hey, set this up for Wednesday. I'll be back. You know, uh, I didn't really know, get into how we got it, but I'm pretty sure that's from the postcard campaign. We had. That's dope. Your your marketing is elevated now. It sounds like uh, pretty much like I say, I, I still do my postcard marketing. Uh, I do a lot of direct mail. Uh, I used to do letters for the most part, but I've been dipping in post postcards for the past like maybe six months. But now uh, I get a lot of deals from uh, wholesalers. So like I say, I do do buying. So I you know I get good relationship with the wholesalers and just gotta you know take care of them. You know, treat them like how I was when I was a wholesaler. So now that you're operating at a pretty large level, are you using all your own money to finance your deals? Are you working with lenders, hard money? No, no, I never use my own money. I mean, I I use my own money for like maybe like deals that are like 50,000 or below, but I'm always trying to borrow money. Uh, So I have private lenders. I I use hard money starting off, but I build relationships with private lenders now. So I have about 3 million that I can play with um between like six people so i just kind of you know pick and choose whenever i got a deal and throw them on to say hey, i got a deal it's worth two hundred thousand. i got it for 80 i need 30 on a rehab 110 and they'll just you know give me the money as far as that so i'll bring it off private money so i have two questions in regards to private money because i haven't really gotten anybody who uses private money like you on the show before the first question is how were you able to find those private money uh lenders man i get this all the time um so for me, I left out uh, pretty much. I had a attorney, one of my clothing attorneys referred me to a guy. He was like, hey, I hear about Marlon Wilson. Uh, what's up with them? Uh, he took me out to eat and he told me like, hey, you know, I can offer this. You know, it was like 10%, two points, one point, something like that. Um, at the time I was just using hard money. And so I was like, okay, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll consider it. I should have t- took him up on that right then. But one time I couldn't get a deal qualified through hard money and I reached out to him and uh, he, he had the deal done in like two days. And I was like, oh man, this is much easier than dealing with hard money, you know. Didn't have to bring any money to the table. I mean, everything was funded. I actually got money from the repairs that needed to be done at closing. So I got paid at closing to do the repairs. So I'm talking about no money out of pocket. Um, so I just worked with him for maybe like two years. I still work with him. He did a deal a few weeks ago. Um, 
But then at the time, he was doing a development down in Houston. And he was like, hey, the funds are a little tighter right now, but I have a friend. And then he introduced me to his friend. And so I worked with his friend. I still work with him. And then his friend said, hey, I have a friend. He just uh, uh, got laid off from BP. Uh, you know, Houston is a big oil oil and gas town. He just got laid off from BP, but he has a lot of money set aside and he wants to let see. And so I just pretty much at that point, it just started trickling uh, with, you know, friends with money, knowing other friends with money and introducing them to me. So it just kind of worked out that way. So when you when you do a deal with them, are they just the lender? Are they an equity partner? Does it vary? No, I only I only do lender. I, I, I won't do equity partner because you're better off going hard money before having an equity partner. Just being honest, I mean, I give them ten percent and like maybe two points tops, uh, and I'm in and out of deals four to five months. So you know the cost of money is is really cheap for me. Um, like for a hundred grand, I may be all out maybe forty five hundred bucks at the end of the deal. Wow. For borrowing the money. Yeah. And so are they charging you interest per month or is this an interest reserve? Uh, it's interest per month. So I pay uh, interest on the loan and uh, it's the annual stuff for like a hundred thousand. I'll be paying like 800 bucks a month somewhere in there until I sell the house. Some people get better terms. I'm, I'm cool with the 10% and, and, and two points. Like, I mean, that's still cheap money. And more so with the, the, the main difference between private and hard money for me is the convenience of it. You know, like literally just being able to call somebody up like a friend and say, hey, I got this deal. This is what I'm going to do to it. Boom. And like, OK, I like it. We, uh, I can have the money to you in about three days. Does that work? Yes. Boom. You know, when you're dealing with hard money, uh, you're dealing with a seller and you got to tell the seller, OK, yes, I got my inspector coming. And then I got my appraiser coming. And it's just more of a tedious process yeah. um, to get the deal done. And, too, you know, too many people have to say yes just to get it done versus knowing that this deal is done once you call one person. So I'm not sure how old you are, but from what I see and what you're telling me, you've achieved some success. What keeps you going? What keeps you motivated? What keeps you hungry? Man, you know, that's a great question. Uh, at the at this point, it's really family. Uh, I set out goals and I just want to kind of be able to give back. You know, right now, um, it's not more so about the money. It's more so about giving back and, and, and letting the, the youth from, you know, the inner cities know that they can actually do it. You know, coming from Detroit, it's like where I'm at, it's just like a dream, you know, a dream come true. So I just kind of want to give that back any way I can. Um, and that's honestly just like the motivation, man. I like to travel, you know, I like to take care of my family and friends. So that's the motivation I have. Now, I don't have any wife or kids. So it's, it's like, you know, it's not like a lot of my friends are like, oh, man, I want you to get a wife and kids. It's like, you know, to step everything up. But it's like, I was more so family and just, you know, leaving something for generations and then inspiring people. I don't know that they can do it too. So what was your best deal? Oh man, my best deal. I had so many. I bought homes for like two grand, three grand and sold them without doing any work for like 55, 60. I've done that a few times. Yeah, so pretty much that. I would say those as far as a percentage. I would buy a home for like two grand for the taxes or whatever and just throw it back up on the market and sell it, you know, like a for like 50,000 or something. But okay, I got a good one. I got to go and just start a whole one. So, um, okay, so crazy story. It's going to be like a two-minute story, but it's good. So I had bought a, I had been working with a, a seller off a referral, and he's like, hey, I got a nice house for you. The only thing is, is the uh, neighbor is racist, you know? And so I'm like, oh, it's not a problem. I'll buy it regardless, you know? So the house was worth like $190. Um, he was like, I can get it to you for 118 So I literally bought a house for 118 and when I go to the house, 
uh, it's a lady and she comes outside and she's like, oh, you're the new owner? Oh, I'm so glad somebody else bought it because that neighbor was racist, <laughs> you know? So uh, both of them thought each other was racist. And so um, next thing you know, so she's like, oh, if I could just buy this house from you right now so I can choose out my neighbors, uh, that'd be great. And so I didn't do anything to this home. So I say, uh, yeah, I could probably do that at 170. And she was like, you think 165? And we actually did the deal. So she bought the neighbor, bought the home without me doing anything to it. Um, and just to think that if those neighbors was cool, she could have that home discounted so much more. He could have got way more money for the property. Yeah, so that was a, that was a nice time. I kind of wonder why they thought each other was racist or <laughs> maybe they both didn't well, like each it other. Well, it was, it was crazy because it was a Caucasian couple on one side and then there was a Caucasian husband and an Asian wife. And they thought that, I guess he said that she would make a little smart Asian remarks. Mm. It was crazy. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I stayed out of it. The lady, you know, everybody was nice to me in the whole transaction. So I didn't, I didn't even get into that. I just listened and thought it was funny. So, What is a mistake that you made on a deal? Mm. Uh, a mistake? Pretty much at one time I was lazy to take out hard money. I picked up. I picked up the house for, I want to say, uh, $15,000, and then I sold it for fifty. dollars um, Then I looked on a market, and I seen that this guy had to put maybe twenty grand into it and sold it for two hundred and eleven. dollars Wow. Um, and just to think, yeah, just to think, I had that same home for 15000 and I could have did that. Um, but I just then, you know, when I kind of go after the hard money at the time, um, that was my biggest one that I always remember. It's like, man, I go back and look, and I started marketing to that neighborhood like crazy. <laughs> um, but uh, that's one and another one as far as rehab and like I said I've done hundreds of deals uh, and I've lost money on two of them and both of those situations were when I bought a home that I did not see um, mm. so I remember buying a home actually uh, in a neighborhood it's a neighborhood called Third Ward in Houston I love the neighborhood bought it for 180 and then when I finally got to it I was like oh man this needs at least 100000 in work and the home was like maybe worth like 330, 340. You know, once I bought that, I ended up trying to sell it and I ended up losing like 11,000 on a deal. So when you yeah. when you look at a deal, how are you determining what you should pay for it? And then how are you determining what it'll be worth after you've done the rehab? Okay, so as far as that, um, the basics is, you know, you have a realtor and the realtor is pretty much going to give you comparables, to call them comps. Uh, in those comparables, it will say and show how a particular home in the neighborhood looked or a few different homes. Um, you then look at that home, see what it sold for compared to the property that's your subject property. And then you kind of see like, hey, this house needs this much, uh, you know, to look like this and this is what it can sell for, or I can sell it as is and sell it for this amount. So you can pretty much see, uh, you know, what your offers are based off the comparables uh, in that neighborhood. So when you were estimating rehab in the beginning, did you, kind of just guess because that's one of the problems I always struggle with is like you never like if you've never done it before you're like I don't know much a kitchen costs I don't know much floor costs I'm just kind of guessing right now so it's like yeah. is it something that you kind of whittle and refine the more you do it kind of like wholesaling or any other skill yeah it, it pretty much comes along after doing it for so long um, it's hard to teach somebody how to estimate repairs what I do tell them is if you can just like kind of go like walk a Home Depot, walk a Lowe's and just kind of price, you know, the, the big the big subject material of flooring, you know, do the math of what your contractor is charging flooring per square foot. 
uh, you know, see how much cabinets are, check out the price of the appliances, the fixtures, you know, kind of find it out that can help. Um, but most, for the most part, you're going to have to learn that by actually doing a few uh, projects. Um, and funny story is that first property that I told you that I wholesale for the $32,500, sort of for $35, that house was worth like $75,000. It was built in 2004, and that was my first deal, so I didn't know any better. Mm. Um, it was a hole in the sheetrock, just a simple hole in the sheetrock that you could fix for like 50 bucks with a good contractor. And I remember telling my buyer, yeah, you know, you got this hole right here, just a couple thousand to fix. I know he was thinking like, what is this guy talking about? You know, <laughs> so pretty much, pretty much, I was like, uh, you know, most most investors in uh, wholesalers, what they do, they uh, you know underestimate it. You know, they'll say, oh, it's just you know, it needs a new roof, and it's like it needs a new roof, two thousand dollars. I was like trying to make sure that I get my buyers happy, so I'd be like, needs a new roof, ten thousand, going with the highest end of it. You know, and that that kind of like bit me. I like, I mean, literally the home. I could if I had that same home today, I could fix that entire home up for like two grand. Yet I told him it needs like fifteen thousand repairs. Wow, you know, so yeah, it was crazy. That was a crazy deal, man. That's interesting though, because I think yeah. that by making mistakes, you still move forward. So it's like absolutely, it's, it's better to do a deal and say, "Man, I, I lost some money," than it is to not do a deal because you're afraid of doing money or losing money. You know, and, and, you know, Todd. The, the thing is, is that was my first deal. So I had went and taught myself how to do a whole real estate deal, my first house ever purchased, if you want to consider that a house purchase. Um, the process, just doing a process, I was happy. You could have paid me a thousand bucks. You know, at that time I was like, man, I just taught myself how to do something yep. that's gonna make me a lot of money. Yep. You know, so I don't even look that look back as like, oh, I missed out on money because I made a lot of money just by getting that one transaction done and learning this process of wholesaling. Out of all that you've done, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned? The biggest lesson is uh, you have to remain you. You can't expect people to, to do right, you know, or do wrong. Um, you just got to keep it professional and, uh, you know, understand it as business. Um, I think that's probably a big one for me, is, uh, you know, as I go into business, thinking that everybody's going to do the right thing. And it's just like, hey, you know, you will get screwed. You will have ups, you will have downs, you know in the process, but just to kind of figure it out and just keep going forward with it. Where do you see opportunities in this current market? I think we have a few good years of still being able to rehab. Um, I think uh, the hood will always be good because those rent prices are always going to kind of remain stable regardless of what the market is doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think pretty much everybody should just try to get the most knowledge they can get um, in rehab and in wholesaling and in raising money to do both. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think everything in this current market right now, everything, uh, you know, in Houston for sure is uh, kind of stable and we'll be here for, you know, a few years, I'm thinking. Um, so that's what I'm saying. Very cool. So I have, um, a few questions of what I call questions from the crowd. This is questions from Twitter. Okay. I'm going to, uh, fire them off. Um, some of them might be repetitive, okay. but sometimes when you ask a repeat question, you still pull out more information. So I'm going to ask, ask it anyway. All right, so this yeah, first no question is from Flipped Hat Noop. His question is, how much did he invest for his first real estate purchase and what type of deal was it? Like I said, my first actual purchase was the wholesale, which I invested at zero dollars. Um, I pretty much brokered 32500 from my seller and my buyer paid thirty five, dollars and I made the twenty five dollars profit. Uh, my first rehab, 
Uh, I believe it's like 96000 and I sold that for like one twenty seven. Um, as far as hard money goes. So those were my first deals, uh, first rehab and first wholesale. First rehab, first wholesale. Cool. This next question is from Ogie S. Ego. His name is Choose Yourself uh-huh. on Twitter as well. His question is, do you have a rehab project that you wish you didn't take on? Uh, yeah, my rehab project that I wish I didn't take was the one I told you about that I bought for 180 in a third ward uh, without seeing it. And then finally seeing it and seeing it need like a hundred grand. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing it. I think that's maybe the main one because that's the only one I lost money on. I lost like 11000 on that. So um, do you think that if you would have saw that property before you put that offer in and purchased it, that you would just would have adjusted your offer and it would have made sense at a new price? Yeah, I would have came in easily at like 140 yeah. if I would have seen that. And then I could have put that. Because even if I did put the 100 it was room to make some money, but that money wasn't guaranteed. Yeah. So think, it's like, you know, you need to, when you take on a deal, you need to know, hey, even if something bad goes on, even if I miscalculate these repairs, I'm still going to be able to walk away with some type of profit. So you're you're negotiating your purchase price with a margin of error, it seems like. Absolutely. It's cool because one thing they say on bigger pockets is like, there's a number for every deal. So like mm-hmm. what you're paying for, it might not make sense, but there's a number that makes that property make sense. So if you can get that property Correct. for that number, then you can make the deal make sense. Correct. And that's why when a, a wholesaler contacts me and say they have a house and I'm like, am I interested? I'm like, I'm always interested for where the numbers work. You yeah. know, I'm not overpaying. <laughs> this is question number two from Choose Yourself, Ogi Ego. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started? I wish I knew how to estimate repairs, so learn that quick. I wish I knew how to hotel, which is uh, you got wholesale, you got hotel. Wholesale is when you do it without buying it. Hotel, you actually buy it. But when you put it on that market, you get way more than you would have got if you wholesaled it. Interesting. Um, so I wish I would have known that strategy earlier. Um, yeah, those would probably be my top two. Why do you get more money when you hotel versus wholesale? Okay, so wholesale uh, particularly is being sold to an investor. When you wholesale, you uh, position yourself to sell to someone who just has cash and wants to discount a property. Um, so you got international buyers, you got a lot of newbies who ever, you know, pay more than they would as far as that. That investor wants the 70% minus repairs. Mm-hmm. And this guy just may be happy that he's buying a house that's worth 100 grand for 80000 <laughs> Next question is, and this is kind of a broad question, but this question is how many plans should one have for their life? It's a tough one, but I'm going to say, so I, think, I think you should pretty much have one goal set at that time as far as where you want to go. Accomplish that and stick to that. Um, like I said, I'm, uh, I started off being an entrepreneur. I done everything, but once I got into real estate, I kind of focused. And uh, any business that I do now is kind of real estate related. Um, and I stick to that. I don't like to kind of chase basketball and football and not be great at any, you yeah. know? So I got to take that aspect of just going with the, the real estate and kind of giving up on those other entrepreneurial things. Like I say, real estate pays well, so it kind of makes it easy to make that decision. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this is the last question. And this question is, what was the age of reckoning for you and how did that come about? See, the thing is, is you know, like I say, as an entrepreneur, you're going to go through stuff. You're going to have ups and downs. Like I know even coming in the coming years, I will have downs. I understand that. And I've learned and knew this you know, from a young age. So I never looked at, you know, it's just a hurdle. You know, you're going to go through it. You're going to have, you're going to have a lot of money. You're going to have a, like me, I, I always don't have a lot of money because I'm using a lot of money for properties, mm-hmm. you know, so things can happen, you know, but, um, 
you know, you learn these type of things and you just understand the process. Like you will have bad days. Things will be tough, you know, but, you know, that's going to, you know, decide who you are as a person. So I don't think it was really an age uh, reckoning because like I said, I know a lot of people are like, man, I'm having a, it's tough. I can't get no deals. Money is low. That's going to happen. Like that's going to happen. And the people that can go through that is the people that deserve to win. Who is someone that you look up to and why? Man, I'm, I'm real big on like uh, Diddy and Jay-Z, you know, <laughs> seeing that they came from the same situation and, and took it to the level they're taking it at, you know, starting up as rappers, but, you know, being moguls in different areas. And uh, man, that's like huge to me. Like just watch them. I mean, Diddy, you know, watching his Instagram is just like, man, this guy's, you know, and the fact he's doing it for the culture, he's like telling people, you know, and showing, showing it can be done, man. So that's he's huge for me. What is your favorite business book? Uh, favorite book is uh, Secret to the Millionaire Mind. Uh, I read that when I was young. I don't know if you know much about it, but that book breaks down of uh, how poor people think, middle class people think, and rich people think. And I remember being like 21 and, man, reading through the book, I was like, man, I'm I'm thinking like a, a, a poor person, you know, because a lot of this is uh, taught on us based off like our parents, you know, mm-hmm. so things like it was, it was one section I always talk about uh, where it stated the poor people play the lottery. And the reason why poor people play the lottery is because they think that people with wealth got there from luck. You know what I mean? And so that was deep, like, man, because I got aunties and uncles who play the lottery religiously. Or they don't have it, you know, yet the people that I know with money, they didn't even think about playing a lottery, you know? Yeah. So it's like, man, you know, because, you know, that was one of the things, but that's a great book for anybody just to kind of see, you know, how our thoughts, I mean, it, it's just, I mean, from the, the way our diet is, the food we eat, our religion, that's kind of like just all thrown on us from, you know, the people that raised us. That does not make it right or wrong, but that's just how we operate. You know, so it's kind of good to reflect off that. I think the author of that is uh, T. Harv Ecker. Yeah, T. Harv Ecker, correct. Very good yeah. book. What is your best real estate investing advice? It's, it's simple, but uh, location, buy low, sell high. Buy low, buy low, you know, negotiate low. You know, that pretty much should be it, man. I think if, you, if you're if you able to buy low, you'll always succeed. You know, you make your money when you buy a property, you know, not when you sell it, so. Do you walk away from a lot of deals where the seller might be motivated, but they're not willing to take the offer that you want to take? Yes, all the time, man, all the time. Uh, even with deals wholesalers sell, it's like, I know when I can make money, and I think I am one of the highest paying cash buyers, but sometimes the deal just does not make sense. And I explain to them, this doesn't make sense, and I, I'm doing this as a business, and I can't make money out of this. So this is my offer, I walk away. Um, like I said, a few years ago, those people called back in two weeks with an offer, uh, in a seven-year offer. Now it's like, you just don't hear from them. So I don't know if people are overpaying mm-hmm. or what's going on, but yeah, I, I walk away. Sometimes as like a newer investor, you don't want to lose that deal until you'll chase the deal. Yes, yes. A lot of new investors, man, and especially wholesalers, because wholesalers have no intention of buying that property themselves. So they'll take a contract regardless of what it said. They're trying to sell the contract to investors. And investors are like, no, you can't do that. You can't, no, no, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they do or how their relationship ends with their seller, but yeah, I, I just can't do that. But new investors <laughs> do it all the time, for sure. So the last question is, what does wealth mean to you? Uh, Wealth means uh, freedom. Making sure your family's straight, you know, it's not all about the money, but of course, having that type of freedom is going to, you know, you, you will have money. But mainly, you know, just freedom, freedom, health, you know, those are those are my major importance, you know. Of course, not, you know, being number one, but having freedom and, and uh, health, is, health is key, you know. I, 
I made enough money to realize it's more than money. This is a this is a bonus question. What is it like riding in a Maybach, man? <laughs> man, that's a, that's a good one. I love riding in a Maybach. Uh, think of riding in a Maybach, man. It reminds me of where I started and uh, how far I can go. So anytime I, I pull that out, man, I'm kind of inspired when I'm driving it myself, man, to kind of continue and, and want more, man. So that's cool. And you gotta get you gotta get a couple of rentals to pay for it too. So I'm, I'm driving to get them rentals. <laughs> so are you aiming for bigger? Or are you aiming for something else after the Maybach? Uh, like I say, that was just a gift, a Christmas gift to myself. But nah, now I'm trying to you know get my mother a house and different things like that. So a lot of other things I I got planned. I think one of the biggest things of this show is to show people that it's possible. And that's why when I saw that you were out there accomplishing your goals, like I've been watching and seeing the deals you were doing and. Unfortunately, sometimes we got to see the Maybach to know it's real. <laughs> but when you see it, you're like, that guy, that guy's really doing it, man. He's killing the game. And that's one of the things, that's the purpose of this show is to show people that it is possible. There's nothing that we can't do. There are no limits. There's no boundaries. As long as you put the work in, as long as you're diligent, as long as you keep your head down, like there's nothing blocking you from getting what you want in life. And you're proof of that. So I definitely appreciate you for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me for sure. Um, you can check me out on uh, my Instagram, Real Estate Marlin. Uh, M-A-R-L-O-N Facebook uh, Marlon Wilson uh, MarlonWilson.com which I need to up uh, upload some new posts kind of been busy um, yeah but yeah follow me and uh, you know I'll do the same very cool so this has been episode number 56 had a great talk about real estate with uh, Mr. Marlon Wilson if you guys are interested in joining any of our investment clubs right now we have 197 members the goal is 500 the goal is to keep leveling up and scaling all the projects that we're doing. You can contact us at info at capitaltod.com. Um, you can also go to the website at capitaltod.com and submit your information through there. The level up is happening, guys. Great things are only going to continue to manifest. The more we support each other, the more we promote each other, the more we share the success of other people. It's just going to rub off on the whole culture. So I appreciate you all for listening. This has been episode number 15. Todd, 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 thanks again. I just want to say thanks again and uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I love it. And uh, our people definitely need it. So uh, keep up the good work. I appreciate it, man. This is Charles Oglesby, also known as Top Millionaire, signing off. <laughs>